0: the last two weeks we have been in our life of of playing the game of life and strategizing as to how we're going to go about doing that. We've been learning the ABCs of this game of life, right? And the A stands for authority. And we're only going to do three of these because we could really be in this series forever and that's not our intention. But this issue of authority, you... And I need to encounter the authority of God every day of our lives, every day of our lives. Now, I realize even as I'm saying that, you may not have thought about the authority of God this past week, right? You just did life, busy doing stuff, right? But the authority of God interacts with our world. And last week, we looked at the providential authority of God, the fact that the God who created everything He invades the everything in whatever way he likes, at whatever moment he likes, for his wise purposes and his loving affection to be expressed in those settings. And you and I don't always get that, which sometimes makes us accuse God and respond to God poorly. But that's the providential authority of God. And this week I wanted to interact with the personal authority of God because that's where you and I live, right? We sometimes care about how the universe is being run, but really we're interested only in the universe because it touches my life. So what's God have to say about me as, a, as an individual, as a person, when I go to figure out who I am and how am I gonna live and what am I gonna express my life towards and what defines me? These are big concepts that are in every day of our lives and God is in this. So let, let me start by asking a question to us. I divided the room and said, okay, go sit on each side of the room here out of what describes your attitude in your own heart. On one side of the room sits, nobody gets to tell me what to do or who to be. And on the other side of the room, go sit if somebody needs to tell me what to do and who to be. Now, which one of those would you be? You already know Which one of those sounds like what you hear in the culture every day, right? And I'm greatly concerned because we hear that so prolifically, so well done, so marketed, so reinforced. When you start hearing anybody and everybody, no matter what race you are, no matter what ethnicity you came from, no matter what job you have, everybody saying the same mantra, you got to know there's something organizing this behind the scenes, So you do live in a world that sounds like nobody, nobody gets to tell me what to do or who to be. That's the world you live in. Is that the world God created? All right, so just in case you're wondering about that, let me give you a little bit of cultural background. We're going to pray after I read a couple of these thoughts. Oz Guinness, I, I like Oz Guinness, he was a missionary and uh, he's more of a thinker, philosopher, has been writing for decades. He wrote a book in 2003 called Rising to the Call, Discovering the Ultimate Purpose of Your Life. This is 2003, right? So we're a generation ago. He said, out of more than a score of great civilizations in human history, modern Western civilization is the very first to have no agreed upon answer to the question of the purpose of life. Thus, ignorance, confusion, and longing surround this topic more now than at almost any time in history. For most of us, in the midst of material and philosophical plenty, we have spiritual poverty. And that was 2003. I think if you use the word plenty, there's even more plenty now in our world. People have more than they've ever had before. More access to things, more more money, more material elements, more opportunities given to them. But they're as impoverished as ever. So more plenty is not exactly solving what's going on in the inside of us. And in the midst of trying to find the purpose for life, we're going to search for definitions. So we very much are a culture, seeking self-definition and self-expression, right? Welcome to doing life every day of your life. Anybody got an Instagram or Facebook? Welcome to self-expression, right? you you have like when some of us grew up you know self expression and you actually had to be around people and publish yourself in front of them now i can never leave home i can just publish me what, what do you want us to know about you right what'd you post last week why'd you post that what, what what statement are you trying to make what what view of you are you trying to create and and have you thought about the definition that you have for yourself and how you sort of present that to others, and how much you've worked at, and more importantly, what's convinced you to have the definition of yourself that you have? Well, very interesting book, and this is a more recent book. This is written in 2020. Trevin Wax wrote a book called Rethink Yourself. If, I would say no matter how old you are, but if you're under the age of 40, this is like a must-read for you. He says, <clears throat> my goal... In writing this book, my goal isn't to help you help yourself, but to help you rethink yourself. And the only way you will rethink yourself is if before rushing too quickly to common sense answers, you encounter a different set of questions. The first step in rethinking yourself is when you decide not to accept so easily the most common answers to the most commonly asked questions. Helpful. One of the best places to see what passes for common sense is the graduation ceremony. Commencement services where young people stride across the platform, celebrate their achievements, and toss their caps as they step into a world brimming with possibilities. You're probably familiar with the inspiring words you hear at these events. They offered up the most usual commonsensical fare about the future. Follow your heart. Chase your dreams. You are enough. You do you. No matter what, be true to yourself. If you were to discern a main point from graduation ceremonies across the United States, you'd come up with something like this. The purpose of life is to discover yourself by looking deep down And then express yourself to the world, no matter what anyone else, whether it's family members, friends, colleagues, previous generations, or religious institutions might say. Common sense, right? Discover yourself, who are you, find out what's unique about you, find out what makes you uniquely the person that you are, look deep inside, and then write the script of your life. Self-definition and self-expression. All right, that's the mode of life all around us. And there's not a one of us in this room or not a one of us watching that is exempt from that process. We're going to do that. Now, it's going to show up in the most obscure places. A philosophy that sits in this category is going to be found by you on every billboard, every side item in a Google search or in the latest animated movies. Now I know this is not the latest animated movie, but I think it's one of the most popular animated movies maybe of all time and I'm about to defriend everybody under the age of 15 right now. <clears throat> <clears throat> I'm going to pick on Frozen, the movie Frozen, right? But have you actually ever read the words to the to the song Let It Go? It's very philosophical, very very philosophical. I know it's in a kid's movie and it's animation and it's got a cool little catchy theme to it. And everybody's going to sing along with me as soon as I start reading this because you've already heard this song. <clears throat> Here's the words. <clears throat> I don't know. I, most of you, I don't have to explain what frozen is to you, right? Cause I, I, uh, <clears throat> I've never seen frozen, but yeah, I know I, I do live on the same planet with you, but just not exactly the same time zone. Um, <clears throat> But apparently Elsa's main character here, right? little frozen stuff going on. She lives in some kind of a winter wonderland, apparently. Here's the song that she's going to sing at some point. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. And then there's one of the verses. It's, it's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. Apparently she's a little creature been making a big deal out of something and it seems to have to do with what other people think about her. And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do. To test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You've been singing that song? (laughs) You like Elsa? I mean, this is one of the dangers. I will say this. This is one of the dangers of entertainment because apparently Elsa is a very liked character. Right, so it's hard for you to walk away from that movie going, that Elsa's a loser. (laughs) She, man, what an idiot, huh? Huh? When you leave the movie, you like Elsa. But Elsa is not a good source of insight. When you go to self-define, because she's this young, angry little girl who's sick of people putting stuff on her and defining her. And when she says let it go, what she means is let go of all the boundaries and barriers that are holding me back from expressing myself. I've figured out who I am, whether you like me or not. And, and all of us kind of feel good about that, right? We like somebody who stands up to everybody else who's putting something on people and expecting something from them. I'm with Elsa, I'm mad at people doing that too. Uh, Part of me kind of gets that. Part of me gets the, the fact that I don't like to be put in touch with, I'm falling short. I don't measure up. You have expectations for me and I don't seem to meet them. So how about I just abandon any form of external imposition on me and just go with what's in me? No right, no wrong, right? I'm free from all that. I'm just doing me, okay? and you can like me or you can not like me, up yours. All right, that's Elsa. You just met Elsa, right? She's cute, but that's her message. And, and that's kind of all over the place. You know, You don't get to define me and I get to express whatever it is that I wanna come up with. So what do we do when we live in a culture where everything is saying that? The posts, and sometimes, if you'll be honest, the posts that you're liking, You're liking these posts. Somebody just put something up like that. Somebody just quoted Elsa. And there's something in our culture that makes you even go, yeah, man, that's right. Get off of me, man. Don't be putting that on me. Okay. Well, if we're going to rethink ourselves, right? I like what Trevin Wax says here. He says, a warning. Rethinking yourself means first rethinking And rethinking can be unsettling. It requires you to put things on the table that you've never thought to examine. It means probing your inner motivations and the desires of your heart in ways that may bother you and upset your priorities. All right, we're about to put Psalm 24 on the table again with us. So can we pray just for a moment? Father, we live in a particular moment where the stuff of earth sounds a particular way. And Lord, quite honestly, it's, it's self-reinforcing. It's very familiar. It sounds like every conversation everybody's having. Lord, it starts to become difficult to hear anything different. Lord, that's why we're here this morning. Lord, we, we want to hear from you. Or didn't, didn't you create everything? Didn't you create each one of us? Aren't you intimately aware of the tears that we shed and the hairs in our heads, the places that we live, the things that touch us, the things that hurt us, the things that we long for and hope for? Lord, aren't you in all those spaces with us? Do you have something to say about what defines us? Well, Lord, we believe you do. Lord, help us to hear you in the midst of all the noise. In Jesus' name, amen. So who has the right to define creatures in this world? We're just creatures, right? There's lizards and there's bugs and there's flying things. And then there's us. And who has the right to define us and then tell us what, expression of life looks like for us. Well, Psalm 24 has given us a key starting point. It says, the earth, God says, is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers." So everything around us that's seeking a definition, including us, was founded and established by him. All right, so can we go back to that moment just for a little bit here? Let's go all the way back to Genesis. What did that look like when the founding and the establishing of things took place? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we'll just read a couple of verses here. It says, in the beginning, God Created the heavens and the earth. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light everywhere. It just came into existence out of the word and the thought. God's design, God's plan for it, God's intention for it. Light became Everything in the mind of God that he intended it to be. Do you think God was surprised when light showed up? Do you think God saw the light and he went, oops, wait, wait, whoa, what was that? What is this thing? You know, it took man many, many years to figure out. I mean, early, early scientists figured out that, that light, was, light was a wave, it's a radiation wave. But then later, science figured out it's not just a wave. It's a particle. It's got particle aspects to it as well. And then at some point, science figures out light travels at 186,000 miles per second. You do realize when God said, let there be light, all of that was true about light the second he said it. And we've been spending years and years and years discovering light, discovering how to use light, the, the nature of it, what it can be done with, how to harness it. But we didn't create it. The nature of light came from the creator. And then you just keep following the story. And at some point you get to the point where God created the particles of our planet. He made land. And he made the seas. And he distinguished one from another. Like he did darkness and light. He distinguished the land from the seas. And he made the seas have characteristics to them. They would would be liquid You'd touch them and they'd be wet. You'd have a different experience by touching something wet. If you, you know, if you pour powder on your shirt, it just kind of comes off and you're done. But if you pour water on you, it sticks to you and it makes you feel all wet. Where did all that come from? God said, Let there be seas. Let there be water. Water has density to it, right? There's a big difference between you carrying a a bucket full of air and a bucket full of water. You notice the difference? You know, God made those things different. He established. The seas, this is from him, right? And I, I love that song we sang last week, that word, that song authority that we sang last week. I love the beginning of the line. I can't, I can't listen to it without just thinking of the wonder of who God is. It says creation knows the voice that spoke it into the void. The breath that brought the dust to life and sang the stars to form. I mean, you understand Adam is just this little piece of dust that God picks up and decides you're going to be different than the dust that I just made you from. And he breathes his life into him. So where does man come from? Well, he gets established by God. Genesis chapter one, then God, verse 26 said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness Created them and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply I mean I don't know you can read this and act like it's a G rated uh, text right it's not G rated this is about sex now be fruitful and multiply hey the two of you that I just created male and female hey you guys get together and have sex and multiply in the earth so this is, this is defining a lot of things isn't it in this moment There's human beings but they're characterized a certain way and then there's this governing thing over their existence because they're made in the image of God. Whatever you're supposed to be just got spoken for. It's inflexible. Just like light. It is what it is. You and I don't get to invent light we just get to discover light we don't get to invent humanity god already did that and he assigned it he appointed it i i find it interesting the world still uses that word appointment like you know your gender that appointed appointed gender as differentiated by the one that you might feel about yourself and come to a different conclusion Listen, in the world that we live in, this self-definition has gone into categories that that when some of us were younger, nobody was exploring these self-definition categories. But today, today we are. But here's the origin of Psalm 24. Is God created it. He established it. He he founded this. So in this moment, Adam and Eve, here you you've come into existence. You have no script, you got no background, you got no history, you got nobody to follow, nobody to mimic. And you got to figure out what do I do? Who am I? Well, this is all you got to work with. I'm made in the image of God. I'm male and female. Uh There's no issue here of whether or not he's attracted to her or she's attracted to him. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. We've complicated this a little bit, haven't we? And then you're going to bring the image of God into his creation. That's your job. Well, what if I don't want that job? That's not even up for grabs. Well, what if I want to be him instead of being me? That's not up for grabs either. We just complicated this. Because we've jettisoned the word authority. God has every right in this moment to do exactly what he's doing. And to prescribe an existence for all of us exactly the way he determined it to be. And you have to first reject authority before you shift that. So this authority thing is not a small thing like, I know there's all these ideas and we can get in the weeds and we can talk about all those ideas, but can I just tell you, before you go to come up with those ideas, before you give yourself permission to entertain them, you have to first reject authority and give yourself permission to do it. This is God's world. He created it. It didn't exist apart from him and he had design on this. So suppose, this is, this is a bit of a graduation ceremony, right? Here we are, Adam and Eve, you're created here's the world, walk the platform, throw your cap in the air, and I don't know, hey, follow your heart, Adam. Chase your dreams. You are enough. You do you and don't let anyone tell you who you can be and who you can't be. Does that sound like this fits in this moment? That sounds nuts, doesn't it? Because God has just told you who you are. He didn't tell you now, hey, but hey, if that doesn't suit you, be whoever you want to be. You want to be her? Okay, be her. You want to be him? All right. You want to be neither one of them? You want to be one of the creatures I made on one of the other days? That's not offered to them. They're offered something a bit more narrow. All right, let me get a little bit awkward. But I want to be careful. And I want to be gentle uh, in, in interacting with this. What about... The possibility that at some point in your life as a human being, whatever you are and whoever you are, doesn't feel right. You don't feel right about your life. You don't feel right about who you are. And not just like casually, like philosophically stroking your beard and going, hmm, I wonder who I'm supposed to be. And you go off and you get a job and you play. and you, But you still go, hmm. No, no, like debilitating. Like obsessive. Like there's something really wrong with me. I don't know how to fix me. I'm not happy. I'm not in a good place. Nobody understands me. I don't understand me. What, what if that becomes your experience? What if you're a teenager? And that's what life feels like. All right. Well, let me just say one thing before I say something that you're probably not going to like the solution to this. I think everybody in the room sort of gets that. I mean, is there anybody here who didn't at some point in your life just ponder your own life and not like something about yourself, not like who you are, not be comfortable with who you are, not want that to continue, wish you were something different? Contemplate what on earth would fix this weird feeling on the inside of me because I don't know, life just feels like it's just itching all over. I am so uncomfortable with so many things and I'm, I've become weird and i am distanced myself and I've done, who, who in the room has not had moments like that? Right, can I tell you, this is maybe not the first moment like that, but it's a significant moment. All right, here's, here's, here's the origins, Genesis chapter one. Here's the, Here's the mandate of God. Here's creation. Genesis chapter two. You don't get only to Genesis chapter three when sin comes on the scene and everything starts to itch for everybody. It's like uh, nothing feels right. This doesn't feel right anymore. Being a man doesn't feel right. Being a woman doesn't feel right. Nothing feels right, right? So that's Genesis three when sin is touching the world that God originally created without sin in it. But sin has touched everything. And everything feels different now. And it's become very confusing. Genesis chapter 4 is the dawn of violence and bloodshed and sin manifesting itself now. Because there's an individual named Cain in that moment. Cain's life is going to itch all over and he doesn't know what to do with himself. He, he's trying to figure out what to express. He's trying to figure out who am I. He's, he's looking on the inside. He's wrestling with all of his feelings. All right, can anybody identify with this? Does anybody look inside and wrestle with how you feel? Your impulses, things don't feel right? Let me just give you an interesting thought here. Kevin DeYoung has written a wonderful little short book called Don't Be True to Yourself. He says this. We can be misled by our faculties. That's what we mean by the phrase totally depraved. Can I just get another jab in for, this is why you attend systematic theology classes. So words like that aren't like, what does that mean, totally depraved? When you go to do life and you go to figure out your self-definition, you need the phrase total depravity to go with you. Because without that understanding, you don't understand how you need God. And you will find resources in yourself that you do not have. So you need big, fancy words. You don't just need to come to church on Sundays and hear something preached at a really surfacey kind of level. Which I know we tend to not do that here, but that's not what we're into. We need to know big, weighty words like totally depraved. And he goes on, he says this. Our passions are broken. Our reason is not entirely reliable. And our wills, apart from Christ, are bound to sin. Now, it's assumed that what you feel about yourself or believe about yourself or perceive about yourself tells you who you are and how you should behave. This is how I feel. This is what makes sense to me. But what if when you look inside, what's going on in there is a little more complicated than stuff you can trust without questioning it. What if you shouldn't trust yourself? What if your own advice and feelings could mislead you, could mislabel you, could cause you to run down a road that really isn't going to fix anything in your life? What if that were the case? And when some of us were younger, that road that we ran down, it had drugs and alcohol. It had promiscuity in it. For for me, it had stealing and thievery in it. It's got all kinds of stuff in it. Today, when you start to itch all over and life doesn't feel right and you start asking questions, you're presented with an option. Well, maybe, maybe you're really not a boy. Maybe you're really a girl. Or maybe sexual expression isn't just supposed to be towards the opposite sex. Maybe for you it's both. Or maybe it's same sex. This is being presented to you as a solution for the inner itching that's going on inside of you. All right, well, what exactly is going on? Well, Genesis 4 lets us in. Here's Cain. Remember, Cain's one of us. Cain played the game. He dwelled in God's world. And he did existence just like you and I. And listen to what happened in verse 5 of Genesis 4. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. You ever been around somebody that the first question that makes sense for you to ask is, what's wrong? What, what is it about them that makes you ask that question? This. They are, they are usually angry, hurt, pondering something deeply reflective and their face looks like they've gone inside themselves they're physically here but they're kind of not really here in the room with you right and you ask questions the Lord said to Cain why are you angry why has your face fallen if you do well will you not be accepted and if you do not do well listen listen Insights that only the creator can tell you. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. It's contrary to you, but you must rule over it. All right, can, I won't go too far into this passage. I don't have enough time, but Cain found himself in a moment where he went on an inner journey to figure out what the heck, what the heck Life did not feel right for him. He's, he's angry, he's sullen, he's withdrawn. His friends notice it. He's depressed. He's gone inside. Cain, who are you going to listen to in your internal tour? Who's going to navigate the scenery for you? Who's going to explain to you what's really going on in you? Can I just tell you, if you pull God out of this conversation, he's on his own, isn't he? Hey, Cain, figure it out, man figured out what what's done this well how many guys recognize if i pull cain out of of god out of the conversation today why are you having the troubles that you're having well just look around It's somebody seated near you or at least somebody who used to be seated near you or whatever that's the common idea it's like somebody did me wrong Somebody created this noise on the inside of me. Somebody caused me to be angry and depressed and I'm a victim and I'm blaming everybody else, right? Welcome to planet earth, the earth which is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But when God shows up with Cain and says, hey, Cain, can I hold your hand and navigate the inside of your life with you? You see that thing in there? That's your heart, Cain. That's the center of your existence, that's your will, that's how you feel, it's the decisions you're about to make. Can I, just, can I tell you who's right outside the door there? Sin is crouching at the door, Cain, and its desire is contrary to you. Sin is not your friend. It is going to make a deal with you, it's going to make an argument with you, it's going to interact with you. You must rule over it or it's going to rule over you. All right, now, if you've read the rest of the Bible, you should know right now, whoa, that's some tough advice because Cain can't rule over sin. There's only one who can rule over sin. The Lord Jesus Christ. And anybody who wants to rule over sin is going to need the Lord Jesus Christ to have even a hope for a second that you're going to rule over sin. But that comes later in the book. In this moment, what's being navigated for this man is an explanation. Cain, you're upside down, you're inside out, you're you're trying to self-define, something's gone wrong in your life, you're trying to figure out how to interpret it, and then you're going to come up with an expression. Do you know what he does next? He commits the first murder in human history. He murders his brother, Abel. Why? Because he's jealous, because he's angry, because a set of emotions have gone off inside of him. And you know what made sense to him to do? Kill another person. That made so much sense that he killed another person. Now can you you see the mess that this is creating? There are things going off inside of you. And maybe you're not going to commit murder, but you're more than likely going to kill something. So let me just say this to maybe your teenagers especially, maybe teenagers who are watching. At some point... Being a teenager, it just sits at a weird moment, right? You go through young adulthood, your body's a certain way. I mean, young childhood, your body's a certain way. Your setting is a certain way. There's a certain sense of expectations and lack thereof. And there's relationships and there's family. and There's people to protect all that. And then something happens to you, 12-ish, 13-ish. Hormones come in the mail. Parents need to remember this, by the way. Your hormones show up. Can I just say hormones are, are kind of like something that goes to work on the inside of you. They come with a tool set and they just start rewiring everything. It's like they just bust out, you know, let me take out my screwdriver. Hey, I think that red wire needs to go over here. And then I think this needs to go over here. And it just changes you. And all of a sudden you start feeling different for reasons that you can't seem to explain. Things that you didn't even notice, you notice. Some of those are nice things. Some of those are irritating things. You're really moody. Did you know that about yourself? You're just moody. You're hard to be around. You're all of a sudden introspective. You used to be this fun little sweet kid. Now you're just kind of like this morose and stare at your shoes a lot. What happened? Well, you're sort of pulling a cane moment here like life has gotten really weird and I don't know what to do with it and I feel a certain way and I don't know if my friends like me. Did I just say something stupid? Oh my gosh, you posted that about me and I'm just all this stuff is going off inside of me and I'm flipping out and you kind of look like Cain. You're, you're kind of angry a lot and you're, what's going on here? Well, Life in a fallen world is going on. Life where there's sin is going on and, and you're feeling it. And you're experiencing this in your life. And if it gets really, really intense, you might do something really, really intense, like kill Abel. You probably won't actually kill somebody, but you might, you might kill a relationship in your life. Why do so many teenagers, why is it such a classic thing that teenagers and parents don't get along? Why is that like, 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 like a norm, right? It's like what everybody should expect. Before any of us think we've cured that, What's going on in a teenager makes them want to pull a cane. I'm so, something ain't right about me. I'm just going to start killing the things around me. So all of a sudden I'm going to kill my relationship with you, even though I've walked with you all these years and you really haven't done anything that terrible to me. But I'm going to kill that because it just makes sense in this moment to do that. Well, that's kind of what's going on with your teenagers sometimes. And sometimes they don't reemerge until mid-20s. And they sort of then suddenly they kind of figure some things out differently and they realize, ooh, ooh, I'm, I'm really sorry for shooting you. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you're still alive. know, you could be like Abel and just be totally dead. Uh, but what happens in this moment when you're a teenager and you decide the thing you need to do is to act upon an impulse that you don't know what to do with it, but it's, it's powerful on the inside of you. And so you decide, maybe you decide the same sex attraction thing is what's really who you, that's who you are now. Uh, and at some point you can't, now you can't figure out the fact that people who used to relate to you under one definition don't know how to relate to you under this new one. And in some way you kill that relationship. You ostracize your family. And you kind of sound like Elsa, Right? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. And you just need to get over it. This is who I am. Okay. Quit putting your expectations on me. Quit requiring me to be something that I'm not. This is who I am. Can, Can I just tell you humbly, nicely as I can. When you look inside of yourself, you have no idea who you are. Because you don't have a navigator holding your hand saying, hey, you see this thing right here? It's your motivation. It's your heart. It's the thing that you synthesize everything about life in. Can you notice that creature right outside the door there that's seeking to dominate and master you? That's sin. And sin is contrary to you. It will lie to you. It will confuse you. It will darken you and turn you upside down. Are you sure you know who you are? I mean, you're only 14. 14. That's what's going on in this moment. But it might not be navigated by God. But what if, what if God is able to interact with our lives with authority? What if God has the authority in my moment where things are really, really confusing to show up and to define who I am? And then to give me the ability to express who I am. What if God could do that? Well, that's exactly what God does do right? Now, remember last week we were in Matthew chapter 9? I couldn't help but the way in which Matthew chapter 9 is constructed. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 9 this week and let's visit, let's visit some people here in this passage. Last week we got to see Jesus use his authority with one word to change the story of Pablo the paralytic. Remember him? He is paralyzed life has gripped him and has shut down his world but with one word Jesus changes all that because he has the authority to do that but there's another guy coming after Pablo I want you to meet this week let me just read starting in verse one getting into a boat he crossed over he came to his own city and behold some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man's blaspheming. Jesus, knowing their hearts said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk. But that you may know. Why did Jesus do it this way? Here's why. So you may know something. That you may know that the son of man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. One word and this man's life is different. No matter what the past has been. No matter what he's trying to interpret. No matter what he looked inside and saw about himself. One word and you're walking and doing what Jesus just told you to do. Then verse 7. He arose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. What do you notice at the end of the story? Not the fact that a guy who never could walk could walk. That would capture, that's like, that dude walked. He's never walked in his life. Unbelievable. Did you see that? They walk away talking about the authority Jesus had that makes those kind of things happen. Right? We, we need to do something similar. What kind of authority do you have over our lives? Next thought in this passage is verse nine. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. All right, now this will catch your attention a little bit more if you understand how the Bible is written. The Bible is not written with chapters and verses. As a matter of fact, it's not even written with punctuation. So the original language in which it's written is the Greek language, and it just would be words after words, after words, after words, after words, after words, after words. And you would have to determine the context and the things that are being said in order for you to create the breaks in it. So with that understanding, here's the next thought that comes after you say, who has given such authority to men? Jesus passed. I mean, it's the next thought. There's no break here. Your Bible probably has a heading in it. Like it's this happened and then we said this next. No, no, no. Right into the next thought. You just learned about Jesus' authority. Now you're going to meet a man named Matthew. And the Bible is going to identify him as a tax collector. That's who he is. When he looks inside, Matthew is a tax collector. Until he meets Jesus. And with one word, he's a follower of Christ. And that's, that's authority, isn't it? But can you go with me just for a second here? Who exactly is this Matthew guy? And how deep in is he to tax collecting? Well, let's get a couple of commentators just to help us. Daniel Doriani says this. Matthew, he left everything to follow Jesus. He left his job and his income a good income. He also gave up his social position. People became tax collectors because of the wealth and financial security it provided, right? If you don't know anything about who a tax collector is in the Bible, uh, the Romans controlled the tax structures. And so they, they took from their citizens to, you know, to, to empower their, their empire. But they would employ one of you to collect those taxes. And it was sort of like working for the mafia boss, You were doing something that was sort of legal, but you got permission to do it in as illegal a way as you wanted to. So your own corruption had opportunity here. So you're a Jew who works for the Romans, taking money from your friends and family members and charging a little extra for yourself on the side. And the Romans don't mind you doing that. That's who a tax collector is. But listen, people became tax collectors because of the wealth and financial security it provided. They became tax collectors despite the loss of respectability and friendships it entailed. Like mercenary soldiers or bounty hunters, their work was barely legal and widely despised. Douglas O'Donnell says this, so Matthew was a tax collector. Officially excommunicated from the synagogue and unofficially from respectable society. But don't feel sorry for him. For he Freely chose this seedy occupation, likely compelled by greed, like today's casino boss. Perhaps he accepted his somewhat socially and morally exiled but government approved occupation because the paycheck was nice. All right, at some point, this is an identity marker. Luke. And Matthew later on, because Matthew is writing about himself, later on Matthew is going to call himself a tax collector. That's who I am. I'm a tax collector. That's what Luke is going to identify him as as well. Why is this guy a tax collector? Why did he define himself as a tax collector? And the expression of his life flows out of this now. What? What fed into this guy's background? Well, listen, people always have reasons for what they do. Even if those reasons cost you something. And this is going to cost him something. He's going to get ostracized from people in his life. His family is going to no longer want to be a part of him. They don't even want to be seen with him. He's not welcomed at holidays. But he does it Anyway. Because he sees something in it for him, he sees something about the money that it will generate, and the other group that will become his pals he's got friends that are just not those friends anymore, just not the people he grew up with, but he 's got another set of friends, and he's got money and and it seems to me that the security of money meant more to him than the security of your friendship or his family you ever 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 have your kids grow up, and maybe you're a, you have grown kids and and maybe they just walked away from your family, just disconnected, cut you off, don't want anything to do with you. Listen, there's a little bit of a Cain moment going on in that, right? There was a little bit of a Matthew moment going on for him where he cuts off his life, but, but don't feel sorry for him because he did it because he wanted something. He wants what being a tax collector provides for him until he meets Jesus. In one word. One word redefines this man. He goes from being a corrupt little tax collector to an apostle of Jesus Christ whom we're still talking about today. And the biggest thing about him is not his tax collection, is it? It's the fact that Jesus came along and called him into something and that defined the rest of his life. All right, so let me pull us all into that conversation now. Have you, have you met Jesus Christ that way? To where when he speaks to you about your life, he, he met you and he just didn't become like a counselor who came alongside your need and you're still doing your thing. You're still about you. You still have your own self-definition, but now you're a blessed tax collector who goes to church and you steal some ideas from Jesus. Maybe you came across something that was prosperity-oriented or a little faith thing. And so your business as a tax collector is being blessed by Jesus because you go to a prosperity church who teaches you that the whole reason that God got around you was so he could just bless whatever you were doing. He's not doing anything. He's not up to something well, what are you up to? Well, I don't know. Look in, look inside, self-defined, figure out who you are. You're a tax collector. Well, God wants you to be the best tax collector the world's ever seen. Dream big, you do you. What if God is up to something? What if on planet earth, everybody exists for God's reasons for their existence? So when, when you go to think about what you're doing this year with your life, does, does the authority of God over you as a person come into play? Do you think about what he has for you? Are you just trying to figure out how he can bless whoever it is that you think you are? That you looked inside, you figured out your personality, your temperament, what kind of job would be well suited for you. You took a test, did the Myers-Briggs thing, figured out your personality type. You've got a label for yourself. This is who I am. And now when I climb into my prayer closet, I'm all about getting God to be about who I am. Welcome to America. Welcome to most people sitting in American churches. What if that's upside down and backwards? What if rethinking myself maybe means I I need to rethink? I need to start with the idea that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The people who dwell in his world, they belong to him. He established and formed us for purposes. All right, we've already visited With Adam and Eve, they were formed for a purpose. They had characteristics like light. They had had characteristics to bring God's purpose into this world. Now something crawled into this world after them called sin. And it changed the agenda of this world. It went from fulfilling the initial creation mandate of God to restoring the creation mandate of God. Now, if you meet God on any average day since Genesis chapter 3 and you say, hey, God, right? Some of us do this when we're kind of cursing something. God, what on earth are you doing? That's a good question. What on earth are you doing, God? Well, you know what God's doing since Genesis chapter 3? I can't, I can't improve on Paul's words. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19 says this. In Christ, this is the whole reason why you have a savior, why Jesus ever shows up. In Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself. God, what on earth are you doing? I am reconciling the world to myself. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to you the message of reconciliation. Now, if you read the characters in the Old Testament, I'm going to race through them really, really fast here. But what on earth are any of these guys doing? And do they have their own moment where, wherever they were, they weren't Matthew the tax collector, but they were somebody until Jesus shows up in their world and says, follow me into what I'm doing. So biggest character we probably meet after we get through Genesis and all the flood and the Tower of Babel and the human confusion that's in the world is we meet a man named Abraham. And God comes along to Abraham as a, is a landowner. Abraham is a businessman. He's got a thriving business going on. The guy's wealthy. It's probably hard to get an appointment with Abraham. Nonetheless, God gets one. And when he does, God says to him in Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. Any particular kind of blessing? Yeah. How about a savior of the universe blessing? That's who you're going to be, Abraham. Your lineage is going to be part of my plan to save and reconcile the world to myself. Verse three, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. Five minutes ago, Abraham, you were a businessman living in Ur, and this was going to be your destiny, and this was going to be your life. It's your childhood dream. You inherited the family business. Everything's good. Stay right here, man. All he has to do is meet the authority of God who says, go. And he picks his whole life up and goes to a mysterious land, and he leaves everything. Who has that kind of a voice in our lives? The Son of God, the same one who looks at Matthew, and he says, You come follow me. And instantly that man picks his life up, abandons everything. He left everything and followed him. Right? I'm going to skip Joseph. He's got his own unique story. But remember Moses. God's doing something when Moses is tending sheep. He's got his own job. He's got his own family. He's got his own setting. He's trying to stay out of conflict in Egypt. He's had some bad experiences there. Don't want to go back. And God shows up to him in Exodus chapter 3 verse 10 he says to Moses come I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people the children of Israel out of Egypt but Moses said to God "Whoa, whoa 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 who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt now we all know the end of the story right Moses is going to do exactly what God says for him to do. But I find it interesting, the commentary Moses brings. God shows up and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in all the world. I want you to have a conversation with him. And I want you to overthrow his authority and all of his armies and lead my people out. Why are you doing that, God? Because I'm reconciling the world to myself. And through a nation, I'm going to reveal myself to this world so they can understand the whole nature of salvation. So this is your job, Moses. You go tell Pharaoh to let them go. And Pharaoh has a cane moment where he looks inside and he looks for his own self-definition and he's humble enough to say, I think he got the wrong guy. I don't think I can do that. It's interesting, isn't it? Not an arrogant resistance, but nonetheless a resistance. How many of us can give non-arrogant reasons to God as to why whatever the heck he's telling me to do, I don't think I can do that. He's not alone. Jeremiah, verse one, chapter one of Jeremiah's life, prophet in the Old Testament, before God says to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I appointed you, that's a good word, a prophet to the nations. I don't know how Jeremiah fully thought in that moment that he's like, oh, shoot, I wanted to be a fireman. Got <laughs> the fireman back there. I wanted to be a fireman. All my life, I've I wanted to play baseball all my life. What do you mean I'm gonna be a prophet? You ever have God tell you to do something that that wasn't on your list? And then he does what kind of what Moses does. Then then I said, ah, Lord, God, wait, behold. I, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. I can't do this. I looked inside, and what was on the inside of me doesn't feel like what you're saying, God. My impulse is to tell you no, because on the inside, what's defining me on the inside doesn't feel like it can do that, God. But see, here's the problem with doing life without an understanding of authority One word from him settles this matter. I just now go in obedience to whatever it is that one word that he said. It's not my job to figure out whether it's possible or not, whether I like it or not, whether I really want to be married to Adam. Could you make another? Could you make somebody else besides Adam, God? And hey, and God, it's 2024. Could you make a woman for me instead of a man? I mean, I know when you start putting stuff in this context, it starts sounding like, yeah, that's not what it sounds like. The God who created everything, he's got purposes for our lives. He speaks to us personally. One more example. Saul of Tarsus. He's going to recount his story when he meets God, and he meets the authority of God to tell this man whatever it is that God has for him to do. Chapter 26, verse 16 Paul recounts and he says, God said to me, arise, stand on your feet for I have appeared to you. This is Paul's conversion. I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to appoint. Do you see that word appoint? Did you hear that word from Jeremiah appoint You know that Moses was appointed by God and Abraham was appointed by God. When when you go to do your life this year, do you interact with a God who appoints you or a God who's waiting for you to suggest some things to him? That's very different, isn't it? Paul, to appoint you, I'm appointing you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, to those which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people, right? So I'm appointing you to something dangerous and I'm going to have to step in and deliver you from people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Listen, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What on earth are you doing, God? And how am I involved in it? Well, I'm in Christ, I'm reconciling the world to myself, Paul. And I'm appointing you to go as a servant and do exactly that so that they can turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and to receive forgiveness of their sins. That's what God is doing here on planet Earth. All right, so my question for us. Seth, you can come back up here. So what is, what is your self-definition? ultimately answer to? What you up to with your life this year? I think I wrote in your outline, notice in this lineage of humans dwelling in God's world, they are all caught up in his project. Their lives are about what he is about. From Adam's assignment to bring God's image into the earth, and be God's representative to the long list of teammates on the team of reconciliation to God, Abraham, to Moses, to Matthew, to Paul, to Keith, to you. The authority that exists over us sends us as instruments of reconciliation to God. That informs our lives. All right, now let me make one comment, and I'm going to ask to pray a moment. Our friend Elsa had some ideas about freedom. No right, no wrong. I'm free. All right, so you live in a culture that freedom is about getting stuff off of you, right? It's freedom from something. Get that off of me. Don't put that on me. Jesus used his mission a little bit different when he interacted with freedom. When he says in Luke chapter four, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. This is Jesus' ministry. He's about to come into our world and do what? He anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me, listen, to proclaim liberty to captives. Recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor Now I don't know how you read that do you read that like the first century Jewish people read it and like oh see Jesus is here and this is how Jesus inaugurates his ministry, to boot these Romans to the curb to set us free from them to get rid of the oppression on them And and so you could have interpreted Jesus and they did, right? It's part of the reason why they had a hard time understanding him because he didn't kick the Romans to the curb. But what if when Jesus looks at us and he sees captivity and blindness and oppression, what if when he looks at me, he sees that in me? Inside of me, captivity and blindness and oppression. What if he doesn't see it out there, although he does? What if he sees it in here? And when I go pull my cane moment and life is itching all over for me and I'm trying to figure out who am I? Who am I? What's wrong? Inside of me, these forces are operating. Captivity is inside of me. Darkness and blindness is inside of me and oppression is inside of me. And what if Jesus comes along and says, your only hope, Keith, your only hope is the anointing that's on me to undo that inside of you now listen if this is barely even true but it's completely true the message of look inside yourself it's the worst advice anybody has ever given you what's on the inside of the fallen human heart is this captivity sin is crouching and it's desirous for you and it's contrary to you and it's going to rule over you unless you rule over it. So this whole idea of freedom, Elsa, I appreciate the fact that you don't like the way people have treated you. I appreciate you feel put upon. You feel if there's expectations on you, you can't live up to. I get that and I get that. You could be here, you could be watching and your life can feel that way. And it might make sense to you to look inside and then let it go. And just whatever I feel, whatever I come up with, that's going to be what I do. And no one's going to tell me otherwise. Can I just tell you the son of God came to set you free from you. Not just from everybody around you. The greatest problem I'm having in this life is me. What a powerful thing God does when he comes to liberate us. And what incredible news that he can come and do it because he has the authority to do it. He has the right to stand in front of your life and to say, hey, I know Keith, Kane, whoever you are, I know what, I know what it feels like on the inside of you, but I can set you free from that. I can reach into that stuff that's making you wanna kill somebody right now and I can set you free from that with one word that's the kind of authority is in Jesus Christ but let me pull all the rest of us who are not maybe I'm not considering that for the first time but you're doing life in 2024 and I just gotta ask you what are you gonna do with your life in 2024 what you up to what are you, what are you hoping for what's your strategy where are you gonna spend your energy what did you look inside of yourself and discover and I wanna build a life around whatever it was I, I looked inside of myself and discovered But what on earth is God doing in 2024? And maybe you got the best tax collector business in the universe. Maybe this year you're hoping God's going to bless your tax collecting business like he never has before. But wouldn't you be shocked to have Jesus come along and say, walk away from that and come follow me? Would you be shocked? Could, Could God do that in your life? Would you, would you be open to God coming into your life, whether you're Abraham and you're settled in your country and you're doing your thing or you're Moses or whoever you are and God steps into your world and says with one word, stop doing that, start doing this. All right, I know this is gonna sound like a cheap advertisement and it is. Get involved. There's a reason why I asked the guys to hold off on doing this until today. Get involved. When you go to do 2024, what on earth is God doing? And and what are you doing to participate in what God's doing? There's this great commission. Isn't it interesting? The great commission starts this way. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Go, therefore, into all the world. Why'd you have to tell us you had all authority? I don't know. The Bible makes a big deal out of authority. Which means whatever you're doing this year, Whatever you plan on spending your money on, spending your time on, spending your energy on, living for, getting all wound up in. Are are you taking into account that God's doing something on planet Earth right now? Go into what God is doing. Find avenues for your life to travel into what God is doing. Because God's doing one thing. He is reconciling the world to himself until he comes back and turns the lights off here and he reconciles no one after that moment, no one. So I don't feel mentioned. You got, you got people in your life that need to hear the reconciling message of God. And you got to figure out how, how to go. Well, but I can't do that. I don't have anything smart to say. Okay, yeah, Moses, Moses sounded that way. I'm not mature enough. I'll, if I invite somebody to come to Alpha, what if they ask me questions I don't know how to answer? Okay, Jeremiah pulled that one too. Listen, it, when authority speaks, you don't ask questions. Right? The paralytic doesn't turn around and say, wait, wait, Jesus, before I get up and, and walk. You know, my nerve endings don't work. What exactly are you going to do to me that's going to allow me to get up and walk? I mean, he doesn't do that, does he? You said walk? I'm going to walk. He said go. I'm doing something on earth. Go. And it's not just for people who hold microphones on Sundays. It's for every person with any ounce of influence in their soul. Go into the world. So who's in your world, right? So this is a serving card as well, right? And you look on the back of this and the guy's gonna be in the, in the foray and you can engage some of these ministries and say, hey, I'd be interested in learning something more about this ministry and how maybe I could serve in it, right? No one, no one, no one should be in a church and not serving. It, it, it screams, I'm here just to hear a couple of thoughts that help me be a good tax collector. That's what it screams, rather than I'm here to follow Jesus into whatever he's calling me to do. I'm here to hear his voice and do whatever he says. So if you're not serving in some capacity, hey, stop on the way out. Say, hey, can I find out more about this or about that area? I'd be interested in doing that. We always need guys to help alpha table leaders. We always are needing more folks to do that. But you have a, a means of serving the reconciling purpose of God by remembering who is in your life that needs to be reconciled to God. And what can you do over the next couple of weeks to invite them to come and hear the gospel? Because that's what God's doing on earth. He's reconciling the world to himself. Amen, let's stand up together. Oh, Father as we ponder what we've heard but I pray and I pray compassionately out of every person who feels like they're having a cane moment self-definition is just not providing relief life feels confusing overwhelming itchy all over God, I thank you that our lives itch because they're trying to find their way back to you and we don't even know it. One word though from you. and You heal that, Lord. When you make us sons and daughters of the living God, when you bring grace into our lives and forgive us of our sins and we pick up our palate, and we're a new person and we're gonna live a different life from this day forward. One word from you, Lord. You have that kind of authority in our lives, no matter how much the world makes us itch. So God, I do pray for every person watching, every person here this morning, that if they're feeling that itch, they would just turn to you in full surrender. Say, Jesus, I, I'm just giving you my life. I recognize you created it. It was for you anyway, from the beginning. Everything is yours for your purpose. I give you my life back today, Lord. Here, you, you take it. And, and you do with it what you want. Lord, help me understand what that is, but you do with my life what you want. God, I pray for every person here who's an Abraham or a Moses or a Jeremiah or a Saul of Tarsus, or that you would speak into our world, whatever it was that we are, whether we're Matthew, a tax collector, whatever we are, Lord, whatever we've bound our lives to, But would you speak with your authority to tell us you are in this world reconciling the world to yourself and you're sending us into that with whatever abilities that we have to bring this gospel into the world. God, may none of us, may none of us overlook your authority speaking to us today about going into all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys. Hey, visit on the outside there some ministries that you could be a part of and get together with. Love you guys. Love you guys watching. Hope to see you soon.